Well, good morning, everyone, to uh, all of you in the auditorium. Welcome to everybody in the cafe. Yeah, my name's Ryan. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And today we are going to close up this series called Heritage. And we said we've been tracing our thread back to God. And really the focus of this series has been looking at kind of the big picture questions that we ask in life. I think those questions tend to live kind of under the surface of where we think and live and breathe. But the deep questions, who am I? Where have I come from? Where are we going? What's life really about? Those questions at the end of the day, the the answers we give to those questions drive our entire lives. And so they're critical. And we've been looking at those for the last month or so. We've been in the first handful of chapters of the book of Genesis, kind of the, the beginning of the Bible, and saying, let's go all the way back to the beginning, and let's get our minds and our hearts around God's answers to these questions to try to find some direction. So we went back and said, even to the creation of the world, this world itself was not created, it, it didn't happen on accident. We said that a, a purposeful designer put it into place, that God himself created it and he made it. And that same designer, that same creator actually made us, that we didn't come to be by accident, that we actually have the imprint and the image of God placed into us. And that image and that imprint of God gives our lives, human life, intrinsic value. The fact that we are means something. And so we we can see that our life matters to God. And we said that Adam and Eve, the first people that were created, that connection between Adam and Eve and God was made for all human beings. That we were supposed to have a, a perfect harmony and a peace between us and God and with each other. And we saw that that was all broken and marred, that sin decimated relationships. And we saw that play out that week that we talked about Adam and Eve and last week when we talked about Cain and Abel, their children, we actually saw the first murder take place. There's actually only one generation in before sin would catch at the level that it actually led to murder. And we saw that faith was the only hope out of a sinful world. What we're going to do today is we're going to wrap this series up by looking at the story of Noah and the flood. It's actually a pretty powerful story. And what we're going to do as we look at that is we're going to see that there's an incredible amount of insight in that story that answers the question, where are we going? It's going to talk to us about our future. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to them to Genesis chapter 6. That's where the story of Noah and the flood is is recorded. And it's actually captured in uh, 6 through 9, the chapters of Genesis, but it's a little too long for us to read, so I'm going to end up telling us most of the story. We're going to zoom into the passages uh, and the verses where it actually makes sense, but Let me go ahead and give you the big picture as you turn there in your Bibles to Genesis 6. If you don't have a Bible or a newer translation of the Bible, go ahead and grab one from under your seats there, and you can can use one of ours. You actually can take that home with you if you'd like. What's happened since Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel is about 1,600 years have passed, so quite a bit of time has passed. And what has happened is sin has multiplied on the earth that people have multiplied and people have had children. And as people multiply, sin multiplies with them and more and more people have become more and more wicked. And the, the earth and the population of the earth has become in a pretty bad place. And it's actually at the point where God is beginning to lose his patience with humanity because it's drifted so far from the original intention. 
Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Here's where we are. Uh, 5 says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I'm going to read that again. I want you to hear this indictment. That every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. What had happened in the days of Noah is that there is a majority of people that that majority had become filled kind of with sin. Later in the passage, I think in verse 11, it says that this majority was filled with violence. Earlier in the passage, we find that this group of people was filled with sexual immorality, that there was sin kind of everywhere, and that everyone had their own agenda, and everyone was following their own way, and everyone was drifting from the original intention and plan of God. And what happened was, as, as the majority began to drift, we see a response from God on this. I want us to see this response. Verse 6. The Lord looked and he saw this majority drifting and he said, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. God of the universe created everything, created human beings, put his image in them. They rebel and forget and drift from that purpose. God is filled with grief. God's heart is broken. He created humanity so that they could know him and he could know them, that they could have a relationship together and further and further and further they drift from that original intent. God's broken by that. His heart is broken. I gotta tell you guys this, we've, uh, my, Lord, my wife Lori and I, we've, uh, we've been working extra hard so we, we took our four kids away. We only had a day to get away. It kind of took my day off and we went up to uh, the beach at Headlands up in Mentor. You guys ever been up there? It's a lot of fun. If you've never been up there, you should try it. It feels like you're at the beach. It's an illusion. It's amazing. It's really a lake, but it feels like you're kind of at Myrtle Beach or whatever. And so, you know, we, we have four kids, six and under. We got a, a baby that's eight months old. And uh, we have, we kind of packed everything up. You know how this works, right? So had to get the sunscreen and get all the kids all sunscreened. Got to get the bathing suits, pack the cooler, pack the floaties, right? Got to get the floaties, got to get the stroller, the cars, the whole thing, right? Pack the whole van up, make the hour-long trip, unpack the van, right? Take all the coolers out and all the children out of, it's like the clown car, all my kids getting out of my little van, right? And we all kind of get undone, pack the stroller all up, start making our way to the beach, right, in the stroller. And I, I'm wheeling the stroller down with just like bags all over me, Children, instead, they're fired up, man. They're like fever pitch, full throttle excited. We're at the beach! I'm like, this is awesome. I'm loving this, right? But I'm already starting to get tired because I've been packing stuff and unpacking stuff all day long. And we're starting to wheel this stroller up. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever wheeled a stroller on sand before. <laughs> this is a parenting rookie error. I've got four kids. I'm embarrassed, right? I wheel this thing on, wheel this stroller onto the sand, and it's like pushing it through quicksand, through concrete, 
it doesn't go anywhere, right? There's no wheeling of the stroller at all. So what I end up doing is my wife gets on one end, I get on the other, and we're like, we're kind of carrying the stroller, basically, right? With a child in it, of course, bags hanging all over us. And, and this beach, for some reason, I don't know why they did this, it's like a half mile long, right? I'm like, did you have to make it a half mile long? Really? All the way to the shore, there's like just sand forever. And so we're like exhausted. I'm sweating now. I, I'm, I'm upset. I'm tired. Right? But when we crash, we enjoy our time at the beach. It's a total blast. Right? There's sand everywhere. You guys know how it is when you're at the beach and you got kids and there's just sand everywhere. I got sand in my mouth from the snacks. I got sand in my, well, you know, <laughs> sand's everywhere, right? So our kids are at that point where they're starting to melt down. You guys have kids, you know how this works. There's like this little grace period where they begin to melt down and if you leave right then, you might be safe. But if you miss that, it's like total chaos. The kids come undone, right? So we're at that point and I remember, right, I gotta take the stroller back through the sand. This is awesome, right? So now it's like a million degrees. The sand is on fire. I've got the flip-flops on and I'm like, you guys ever walk with flip-flops on the sand, you like pick up a half a pound of sand every step. And so I'm holding, again, the stroller, carrying it with the bags all over me. We're exhausted. Lori and I are like, are you serious? I cannot believe this is happening. Why do we do this? Why do we think this was a good idea? This is what we're, we're almost laughing because it's so ridiculous. And we keep walking. It takes us like 20 minutes to get back to the car. At one point, Lori stopped and she said, I don't think we made any progress at all. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So we're, we're making our way back to the car and my five-year-old daughter, all of a sudden, <clears throat> you know, I'm covered with sweat, carrying all the stuff. So is Lori. And, and my daughter looks and she says, first of all, she starts whining. And um, we have a thing at our house. Mm. There, there's no whining at the Roadman house, that's our last name. We don't whine, we cry, crying's okay. Whining, uh-uh, not okay. She begins to whine. And she looks at me, stuff everywhere, right? I'm sweating, carrying the stroller, carrying the cooler. Daddy, will you carry me? <laughs> I'm like, child, have you lost your mind, right? My daughter, she's five, so she can get away with this. She has no idea what's going on in the heart of her father. We look at this majority, and we see that, that just like my daughter, they're consumed with what's going on in their own heart, what's going on in their own mind. Their own life is all they can see. It's tunnel vision. There's no regard for God's grief. There's no regard for what's happening in God's heart. God's heart is broken. He sees his majority. Remember, it's been 1,600 years of God hoping and longing for his people to return to him. And for 1,600 years, rather than coming, them coming back to him, they, they drift farther and farther and farther from the original design, farther from the heart of God. So here's what happens next. Verse seven, it says, the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. 
and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here's what happened. God saw the majority, and he took note of a guy named Noah. And this guy cared about what God cared about. Not a perfect guy, but Noah was paying attention to God's heart, and he believed God's voice, and he took him at his word. And so God came to Noah and said, Noah, here's the state of humanity. You see it. You know what's happening. What I have chosen to do is I've chosen to bring a flood to the earth. He said, I'm going to make it rain. I'm going to make the floodgates of heaven open, and I'm going to fill the earth with water. Keep in mind, it never rained on the earth ever at this point. Rain was a foreign concept. And he said, what what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring so much rain and so much water that flood kind of happens on the earth. And what I want you to do, Noah, is I want you to build a huge, massive boat. We're going to call that an ark. And so Noah believes God. He puts his faith in God. And he goes about building this boat. You guys have to get your your minds around this. Noah, it takes about 100 years to build this boat. This thing is massive. It's not like he lives by a lake where, this, where a boat makes sense. He's the guy building this huge boat. Imagine his neighbors and his friends and family are looking at him like, Noah, you all right, buddy? What you doing? Building a boat. Why? God told me to build it. Oh. Why did God tell you to build that? Because it's going to rain. What's rain? Right? That's the process for a hundred years. Noah believed God when no one else was listening to God. Noah tuned into his voice when that didn't benefit him at all. It made no sense to do that. In Noah's day, Noah would have been the freak over here, right? Saying the end is near. He's that guy building the boat. You know, Noah. The guy building the boat over there who talks to God says it's going to rain. He's a freak show. Scripture says that even until the day that the rain came, the majority, they were getting married, they were doing life, they were making plans, they were planning a vacation, all the way up until the day that the rain started. And I imagine what happened is when the rain started, the neighbors and the friends of Noah, the people that witnessed his life, I imagine that they started to do the math in that moment. It's raining. Noah, the boat, he's right. I should have listened. I imagine that all that came together for them as the rain started to come down and it was too late. Because you have to hear the heart of God. It, it became too late because there was offer after offer after offer after offer 
of God's patience and his kindness and his forgiveness. But then they hit the enough line where it was no longer available. That door had closed. And in that moment, when the rain started, it was over. As we tell this, actually the kids are doing this story right now. And it's fun, you know, the Noah and the animals and the rainbow and the boat. It's a fun story, kind of. It's also the most epic natural disaster that has ever faced our planet. Can you imagine? So much rain that it starts to fill and cover our houses, cover the treetops, cover the mountaintops. People are swimming, trying to stay afloat. The entirety of the earth covered with water. Scripture says that up to the highest mountain, water covered it to 23 feet of a depth. The entirety of this planet was covered in water. Only survivors were Noah, his family, and the animals that went with him. The only way out of this was Noah and the ark. God always raises up a person and a plan a way of rescue kind of through this disaster. So one of the things I want us to see through this <clears throat> is that there's no safety in the majority. There's no safety in the majority. You guys ever drive down the highway? Everyone's speeding, right? Everybody's going 10 over, 15 over. You ever think to yourself, well, they can't get all of us, right? You've thought it. Oh, I know, right? They might get one or two, but they can't stop us all. Guys, that, that can actually be a worldview for how life is lived. And that, I want you to hear, that is not how it is with God. God does not grade on a curve. God doesn't just grab one or two. There's no safety in this majority. There was no safety in being normal. The only safety that there was to be found in that day was in Noah and the ark, the person and the plan of God. We have to hear this. Noah and the ark were the only way out. Scripture says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We know that Noah was a righteous man. Scripture says it doesn't mean he's perfect, but he had a faithfulness with God. And so his heart broke for people too. During his hundred years of boat building, I'm sure he would have called people and said, come on, man, come on the boat with me. It's gonna rain, this is gonna happen. Will you follow God? And I'm sure as that water filled the earth, his heart was broken for the people that rejected God, denied God, said no to God's plan and to his ways. There's no safety in the majority. There's one of the things that the New Testament does is it always ties back a connection from Noah to our future. And as we look at our situation, we can say that there's a majority, very much like the majority that we find in the days of Noah. That 
in whole, our culture is saying, no thanks. God, I don't really want your ways. I'm not interested in your plans or your, even your heart for me. And as a people, there's a rejection in general of who God is and what God's about, and that has been true all throughout creation. Let's look at 2 Peter 2 as this parallel is drawn by the Apostle Peter. Chapter 3, verse 3, Peter says this in verse 3. It says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. So Peter told us that this would happen, that, that there would be a time when, when evil would continue. Jesus told us that towards the end, the love of most will grow cold. He says that they'll follow their own evil desires, therefore they will say, where is this coming, he promised. The coming is the second coming of Christ, that's what they're talking about. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Listen to this. But they deliberately forget. This phrase has been bothering me for quite a while now. They deliberately forget. Think about that. That means I've made a conscious decision not to remember something, to put it out of my memory. I don't want to see that. I don't want to know that. I don't want to hear that. I deliberately forget that. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. They deliberately forget that by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. That's the flood. They deliberately forget that by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This is a hard set of truth right here. But God looks at our hearts and he looks at our state as a people. And just like he did in the days of Noah, he grieves it. He's brokenhearted that his people won't respond. So 2,000 years ago, what God did is after many, many attempts, God raised up a person and a plan. See, there have been people and plans all throughout the scripture. If you read through the Bible, you'll see those people and those plans play out again and again. And God would make offers of rescue and some would take those by faith. Over and over and over, God is drawing people to himself and calling people to himself and saying, I love you, I'm for you. Will you follow me? Will you come with me? Will you know me? Will you choose me? And finally, it came to the point where God said, I need to send my own son. This was according to the plan that God had from the beginning. And his own son would come, live a perfect life. And that son, this very son of God, would die and offer his life for sin. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful sacrifice, one that we are incredibly unworthy of. The son of God would die from sin, raised from the grave, And that cross would become the way of salvation and the way of rescue 
Jesus is the, the person and the plan of God. What we find in Peter and throughout much of the rest of Scripture is that while God destroyed the old, the ancient world by flood, our world will be one day destroyed by fire. Guys, it's really easy for me to write this on a piece of paper. Um, But in reality, the reality of what this is saying is so huge, so sobering. Because what we're saying here is that the scripture is telling us that like what happened here, this will happen one day. Because I, I need you to hear God's heart before we move any further. Look at verse eight and nine, 1 Peter 3, or 2 Peter 3. It says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a, a, a thousand years are like a day. He's talking about God's patience. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to return, as some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Can you hear God's heart in it? What God is saying, what Peter's telling us about God in his heart is God does not desire this to be a majority. God would love it if everyone, if everyone on the planet and everyone in this majority would look at the plan and the person of Jesus, lock in and find salvation. And that's his heart. It's what he longs for. And he's been offering that person and that plan to us for about 2,000 years. And what I want us to be awakened to is that the patience of God and the offer of God to trust Jesus as Savior, eventually that patience will run out. Eventually that door will close. No one knows when. Jesus, when he was on earth, said he didn't even know when. Only the Father knew. But one day that door will close, we will hit the enough line and the end will come. And on that day, the day of the return of Jesus, all that have trusted in Jesus and his cross will be rescued and will be saved. Guys, hear me. And those who haven't will face this. This is sobering to me. I was reading this and studying this and I was, I was sobered by it. I don't know how else to say it. Because for me, the reality of this is not always in the forefront of my mind. Right, what do we do with this set of truth? For me, as I wrestled with this, what I saw more and more is that my heart is not always ready to receive Jesus when he comes back. I'm not always tuned into that. I'm like the people sometimes in the days of Noah that are just living life. 
living life in the majority, doing things, making plans. And then all of a sudden, one day, the end comes. Because what I find is that my heart is not always tuned in with what God wants and with his purposes. And this set of truth sobers me. It awakens me to the reality that everything that I interact with here on earth, all of the material world, it will end one day. Think about that. Our cars, our homes, our sports, our hobbies, our plans, our agendas, this earth as we know it, Guys, listen, it's all going to burn one day. That's hard to hear. Let me just tell you, it's kind of hard to say. But it is real. And that changes everything. That changes completely how I interact with life, doesn't it? Because if this life is temporary, and this life is not all that there is, completely changes the way that I embrace it. Because we have to be sobered by this. Because I can get kind of drunk on the things of this world, the things of this life. Just get excited about what I have going on. And even they're good things. But if my hope doesn't land here with the hope of heaven and the hope of the return of Jesus, that I'm losing perspective on reality. I'm losing perspective on God's design for life. As some of us, we grew up in a church setting. I, I want you to hear this because this is critical. What this picture and what scripture is telling us is that there's no safety in the majority. The only safety is in the person, the plan of God. Guys, listen, there's no safety in just being connected to a church. There's no safety just in being connected to Grace Church. The fact that you're here today, I just need you to hear this. I don't want you to feel safe because of that, protected by it. There's no safety in being a good person. I don't know that many people that don't think they're good people. Almost everyone I talk to says that they are. Do you know what that makes them? The majority. Because there's no safety in being a good person. There's no safety in success. There's no safety in mastering this life in this world. There's no safety in any of that. No safety in being tucked away and looking just like everyone else and living like everyone else and having my dreams come true, that is not a place of protection. You need to hear that. You need to know it. I need to know that. And this is why. The only place of protection, the only safe way out of this equation is through Jesus and his cross. Listen, as black and white as it was for the people in the days of Noah, 
as black and white as it was to either be in the boat or outside of the boat. There was no gray area. You're either in it with Noah or you're in the flood. In the same way, guys, we are either in it with Jesus or we're not. What I need you to know is we need to cut away this gray area right here that makes me feel like I'm in it with Jesus, but in reality, I might not be. Is if my hope is in anything other than the person of Jesus and his death on the cross, I'm in a place of false security today. The beautiful thing about that is that today you can make that decision of surrender. You can say, Jesus, whoa, I didn't know that it was like that. I didn't know it was that clear. I want to accept you as my savior. I confess that I've been among this majority. I've been evil in my own heart. I am in Jesus. I don't place my hope in being a good person or going to church or doing great in this life or any other form of self-salvation. I put my trust and my faith in you alone, Christ. Because if you would do that today, I want you to know, guys, God is longing to hear that come from our mouths. Longing to hear that come from our hearts because he wants to connect with us so bad and he's drawing us to himself. And he's passionate about you. He longs to know you and he longs to see us not found here. I need to be sobered. If I've never made a decision for Jesus, I need to do that. As for all of us, we need to see Jesus himself as our heritage, as Jesus is our thread back to God. He is the prize. He is the reward. Abel, talked about him last week, died young, died tragically, Listen, he's enjoying his heritage. He's enjoying his reward. He has no regrets. Noah, just be honest. Noah's a guy that lived a weird life. He built a big weird boat, you know, and and he lived at a time that it was weird to be Noah. He faced ridicule for being associated with God. Let me tell you something, Noah has no regret today. He's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed by his decision to align with God in his heart. Guys, I want us to be able to live in such a way that on this day, I don't know when this day will happen, but I know that it will happen when this day comes I need to know that we all had the opportunity to not be ashamed and to not have regret on this day because Jesus will return and it will feel and it will be just as real as what's happening right now. And guys, I forget that and you forget that 
But that's reality. And in the meantime, we look to our heritage, we look to Jesus as our prize. Because I I need you to hear the beating heart of God. And I need you to hear God saying, I just want to be with my people. I long to be with my people. I long to have you respond to my love. It's why I made you. It's what he's saying. Guys, I just need you to know that that God's heart is broken here. Before God is angry, he's heartbroken. His heart is tender for us. What does God want from me? He wants my heart. He wants my affection. He wants my devotion. He wants my loyalty. And he wants me. It's not after your money or your good stuff. He wants you. Guys, at the end of the day, if we search deep, we want him too. Will you wrestle with that? Will you be sobered by that today? Guys, don't let this just be another service. This has to change us. This reality has to shape us and awaken us to God's calling on our lives. Let's wrestle with that together. Jesus, we are so grateful that you have offered your sacrifice of yourself. That you came, God, with skin on in the person of Jesus. And you carried the heavy weight of the plan of God in dying on that cross. Jesus, thank you that you are the thread back to God. That in you we can have hope and we can have safety and protection. Lord, I ask that you would do whatever it takes in our lives to sober us to the reality of what's coming. Thank you for telling us, Lord, so that we need not be surprised. Lord, I pray that you would let not one of us walk away unchanged today. Help us to know your heart, to know your calling, to know that you love us and you you just want us to be with you. Jesus, teach us that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.